In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. Sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. You know, in the world of finance, I always advocate for smart investments and sound financial decisions. So when it comes to personal grooming, I apply the same principles. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, just when it seemed that the human tragedy unfolding in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria was going to really dominate the news coverage this week with the president set to go down to Puerto Rico on Tuesday, and with the whole thing unfortunately becoming really wrapped in a in a political narrative, you've got the mayor of, of San Juan, who obviously has a political agenda of her own. Apparently, she wants to be governor, and she feels the best way to, you know, to raise her stature is to try to uh, criticize President Trump and try to blame uh, somehow his failure to adequately respond uh, to what's going on in Puerto Rico uh, as the reason for the suffering. And, of course, there are plenty of... Uh, blame to go around with respect to what's happening locally in Puerto Rico, but you do have a very, very unique situation with a category for for a hurricane hitting an island and the various logistical problems that have to do with uh, trying to get aid to the island and logistically dispersed throughout the island. But I thought that it really, the coverage was going to be bigger. And, you know, I'm hoping, too, that now all this coverage of the Jones Act, people never talked about it. You know, there's a 10-day suspension of the Jones Act. But what happens after 10 days? It's right back. Let's get rid of the thing. Let's, at a minimum, get Puerto Rico a permanent exemption. But why not just exempt Puerto Rico, exempt the entire country? You know, if Trump wants to drain the swamp, here's a swamp creature. Let's get rid of it. This is exactly what the swamp is built on, protectionism. You have a small group of individuals who benefit 
at the expense of a much broader group of individuals who suffer not just in Puerto Rico, but in Alaska and Hawaii, all over the United States. But of course, the suffering is greatest among people who are poor, have lower incomes, and who live in places like Puerto Rico. So yes, it makes a lot of sense to get rid of the Jones Act under normal times, but these are not normal times. And it's going to take Puerto Rico a lot more than 10 days to rebuild. It's going to take years. And during that time, let's make the burden as light as possible and let's get rid of the Jones Act. But as I started to say, I thought that uh, Puerto Rico would still dominate the news coverage. But unfortunately, another tragedy has unfolded. Now the, the biggest mass murder in U.S. history 58 people murdered by a maniac in Las Vegas. Over 500 people injured in a 10-minute shooting spree. You know, it's amazing, and it puts this into perspective. If you look at the sheer force of Hurricane Maria, and you look at the YouTube videos, I mean, there are a lot of them that were shot by people in the middle, like in the eye of this hurricane, and you, you can't believe how strong this wind is, and you can look at what's happening to trees and to structures. But miraculously, not that many people died. I think throughout the entire Caribbean, fewer than 20 people died. Now, maybe they'll find some more, but still, 58 people killed in 10 minutes by one man with a bunch of guns. Right? It shows you how much more dangerous man is than, than nature, as bad as nature is. Man, it can be worse. And, of course, obviously, you know, the destruction of Maria is also to property and to uh, the standard of living of the community. Here you have somebody who has just uh, taken lives, uh, which obviously are, are far more important than property. But the damage is contained to the loss of lives and to the, and to the, the, the uh, family members who are now going to be mourning their loved ones. Not that I'm making light of that. The point is that this individual, one person, can be so destructive when it comes to uh, taking lives. But, of course, you're now going to have the typical response, oh, we need gun control. If only we had more gun control, then this would not have happened. And, look, this guy, by all practical purposes, I mean, based on the information we know, relatively wealthy, multimillionaire, real estate investor, uh, owns a couple of planes, um, you know, not, you know, a, a, a fanatic, not a member of some kind of militant organization. I mean, obviously, he's not some kind of white supremacist uh, trying to kill minorities. I mean, this was a country music concert, not probably too many minorities, uh, you know, at country music. I mean, if he was uh, some kind of white supremacist, maybe he'd have been at a hip hop event or something like that. But just uh, you know, an older white guy killing a bunch of white people. So clearly it's not racially motivated. It's not terrorist, even though you have um, ISIS trying to claim responsibility or in their mind, it's claim credit, right? They want to get credit for, for these murders. But clearly there's no evidence to suggest that this guy is in any way linked uh, to ISIS or, or a Muslim or, or, or anything radical, uh, there is nothing. I mean, talking to his own brother, you can see the interviews there. Uh, people are surprised. I mean, this comes out of left field. So we'll never know. I mean, what would pose somebody to snap like that? And obviously it wasn't like this was a spur of the moment kind of thing because he had a case to place. He checked into that hotel room 
I think, what, one or two days or a few days before the event. So he laid in wait in this hotel room and he brought in almost 20 uh, guns and he was, you know, setting up uh, turrets that he was putting them on. I mean, this is something that he had been planning for at a minimum a number of days. I mean, maybe, who knows, maybe he had been planning it longer than that. So it's not like he just snapped, you know, like that. So, you know, it took it took a while, but no one, who knows? You know, we're not going to be able to figure this out. But the answer is not more gun control. To the extent that this individual wanted to get his hand on guns, he would have been able to get those guns, regardless of whether or not uh, owning them was illegal. He would have found a way to, to get those guns. Look, I mean, heroin is illegal. Cocaine is illegal. There's all kinds of things that are illegal, yet it doesn't stop people from getting them. Right. So if you if, if you're a criminal and you and you want to do something that's wrong, you're, you're going to find a way around the law. You're going to break the law. And clearly, if you're if you're willing to murder, uh, you know, 50 people, 100 people, who knows how many more people he would have murdered had the, had the police not found him as quickly as they did. You know, because when they found him, he still had hundreds of, of unused uh, bullets that he was intending on firing. So the only reason that he didn't kill more people was because he killed himself before he he had the opportunity to do that. And he doesn't even know who he's shooting. He's so high up in the air and it's dark. I mean, he's just shooting. He doesn't care who he hits. He's just trying to kill people at, at random. So clearly somebody that is willing to commit that kind of murder is willing to break the gun laws, right? So gun control wouldn't have done anything. I mean, maybe... Had there been somebody else in the hotel that had was armed, maybe if somebody in the room next to him had a gun, maybe they could have heard what was going on. They could have walked in there and shot that guy in the back of the head before he had a chance to shoot as many people as he did. So if anything, it's possible that had there been more people at that hotel who were armed, maybe one of them would have been able to bust into that room and kill that maniac before he killed as people as he did. But we'll never know about that. But... There is no way that gun control is the answer. What really scares me, though, too, is what kind of backlash we might have, what kind of overreaction for additional security at hotels. And will it just be confined to Las Vegas hotels, or is this going to be hotels all over the country? I mean, I I get visions of now when I check into a hotel, it's going to be like the TSA lines at the airport. And again, not that I want to make light of the fact that so many people died. It's a tragedy. In fact, my wife grew up in Las Vegas. She has many friends who still live there. Fortunately, none of them died. But my wife's friends know people who were at that concert who were shot. None of them critically, although one apparently may, in fact, succumb to her injuries. I'm not sure. But none of my wife's friends' friends have died, but several of them were there and were shot, and others were there and, and, and were not shot. So it is, you know, does hit a little bit closer to home uh, to me. But my point is that we don't want to overreact and now, you know, turn hotels into airports with TSA agents. Look, I mean, there's no way that a hotel is going to be able to keep guns out of a hotel room. I mean, I go to hotels all the time. They don't examine my bags. They don't, I don't go through a metal detector. I mean, the only thing that happens in Vegas in the evenings, when you want to go into your room, they ask to see a room key. But even then, I mean, they don't examine it. You don't even have to have a current room key. You can have a room key from the last time you stayed there. I mean, it doesn't even have to work because they don't, they don't ask you to prove that it's a working room key. You just flash your room key 
and you can go in. I mean, so how hard is it to have a room key even if you're not staying there? But they don't ask for your ID. They don't ask for anything. And they're not going to x-ray your bags when you check in. And, of course, you know, people can come and visit you. If you're staying in a hotel, they could bring a suitcase with them or a briefcase. Nobody asked to examine it. So if this means now that when you go to a hotel, they're going to have to go through your, your, your luggage and, and all kinds of extra security, sometimes it's hard you know, to get into these hotels to check in. Uh, there's long lines, and it'll be even worse uh, if we have to have this security. Now, is it possible that had we had the extra security that this individual wouldn't have gotten those guns in there? Yeah, that's, he might not have. But he might have set himself up someplace else. Yes, maybe he wouldn't have done as, as much damage if he didn't have that, that high vantage point and he couldn't shoot down. Uh, so maybe it wouldn't have been as bad. But how do you know? Maybe he would have smuggled them in anyway. You don't know. Maybe the guy would have made bombs. Maybe he would have fashioned some bombs out of material that wasn't detected. And he could have lobbed those bombs out the window of that of that hotel. You know, he could have just driven his car. Wasn't there some kid somewhere recently, or was that in Europe? I think it was in Europe where somebody started, you know, mowing people down with a car. I mean, obviously this guy would not have injured 500 people, but he could have done a lot of damage just, you know, driving a car into a crowded, into a crowded spot. So there are a lot of ways that people can kill if they're dead set on doing it. And I don't think that having this type of security would have necessarily prevented this guy, this madman, uh, from killing people. But what we don't want to do is now overreact and have to have excess security. And again, Congress could come in and they could just mandate that hotels uh, have this kind of security. But then what happens? I mean, so, I mean, if there's another uh, act where somebody kills people someplace else, do we have to have more security there and more security everywhere? And ultimately, you know, these things are going to happen. I mean, you cannot stop a lunatic from, uh, you know, from killing people. And no matter what you do, no matter how much security you have, you're not going to eliminate it completely. So there has to be a trade-off between our liberties, our freedoms, and the cost. It's always a cost-benefit analysis as to what is something going to cost in order to, uh, you know, to be worth it. I mean, obviously, we could require all Americans to walk around in a suit of armor so that if somebody tries to shoot you, uh, then they're not going to get you because you're going to be in an armored suit. But how much is that going to cost to require every American when they go outside to have a suit of armor? You know, and how inconvenient is it going to be to have to go outside in a suit of armor? Right. So, you know, yes, it's possible to have a law that makes everybody safe so that nobody can get shot. But is it worth it? Right. Is it worth the cost? I mean, people would say, you know, I'll take the risk. There are a lot of people who don't even buckle up. They don't even want to put on a seatbelt. I mean, yes. I mean, if you wear a seatbelt, that dramatically reduces your chances of dying in a car accident. But there are so many people that don't even want to be inconvenienced to have a seatbelt on. They don't want to be uncomfortable. They want to be free. Right? And they're willing to take a chance that they're going to die. I mean, it's, you have a better chance of being in a car accident and dying because you don't have your seatbelt on than you do of being shot by a terrorist when you're at a hotel. So we have to put all of that stuff in perspective before we overreact. I mean, look at all the people that smoke. Just quit smoking. You want to reduce your chance of getting lung cancer? Stop smoking. Yet there's a bunch of people that smoke anyway. right? you got a better chance of dying from lung cancer because you smoke 
than getting shot by a lunatic because you go to a concert uh, in, in Las Vegas and somebody happened to bring a gun, a rifle, and he's a sniper and he's taking shots at you. So these things are very rare. Fortunately, they're very rare. And when they happen, they obviously get a lot of publicity because they're rare. Believe me, if we had mass shootings every day, it'd be no big deal. It wouldn't be a, a major story. And we should be glad that when something like this happens, it's a major story because that lets you know how rare it is. So let us not overreact. You know, by the way, you know, I'm watching the videos of the shooting. And, you know, there are a lot of people, too, who are being shot at, yet they have no problem taking the time to film it on their iPhone. In fact, I'm watching in one of the the videos that's there, and you can see everybody is running because you can hear all the bullets and people are running and screaming, but a lot of people are holding their cell phones out in front of them. And I'm not sure some of these people are holding their cell phones because they're taking movies. And I think other people are using the battery as a flashlight, right? Because they want to see where they're going. And so they're trying to run and they're holding their cell phones as a flashlight. Now that, you know, that makes a little bit more sense. But I think a lot of people are just trying to film what's going on so they can post it at YouTube. They're more worried about getting some footage than they are, you know, getting away from these bullets. But the one that was the most ridiculous is this guy and he's running away from the bullets and he's got a beer in his hand and he's trying not to spill it. And when I first saw that, I was like, wait a minute, is that guy holding a beer? And so I had to, you know, rewind it a couple of times and look at this guy's hand. And sure enough, yeah, he's got a big uh, glass of beer and he's running. He's holding the beer out front. He's trying not to spill it, but he's also running. So I can see some of the beer spilling out of his glass. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is this guy thinking? This guy is running for his life. Somebody is shooting at him and he's worried about not spilling his beer. I mean, just drop the beer and run as fast as you can. I mean, what is he thinking? He's like, okay, i got to get away from these bullets, and I'm not really sure where I'm going to go, but when I get there, I'm going to finish this beer. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke out of this. I mean, it's not meant to be funny. I don't understand the mentality, just get rid of the beer. Who cares about that beer? But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, when people, people are thinking, I wasn't there. I can't put myself in the place of somebody who's actually under fire. Maybe he can't even straight, and it doesn't even occur to him that he should forget about the beer. Maybe, you know, it's it's like almost like a reflex. Like the guy is so used to protecting his beer uh, that he, he, he doesn't even realize that this is a matter of life and death, and it's not, he's just trying to, you know, you know, he's trying to negotiate through a crowd. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to spill his beer because, you know, he paid, you know, six bucks for that beer, and he's thirsty. But the point of the whole thing, and I'm starting to go off on tangents, we don't want to overreact to a tragedy like this by, oh, we need gun control, we need to ban guns, oh, we need more security, we need to make sure we turn our hotels into airports, we need to have TSA agents all over the place just to make sure this doesn't happen. You know, this is not likely to happen. There are not that many sick individuals like this guy who are willing to kill that many people, right? I mean, normally if somebody goes on a mass murder spree that isn't a terrorist, right? I mean, they have some valid reason. They're pissed off at somebody. They're angry at somebody. They're trying to kill particular people, not people at totally at random, where they don't even know who they are. They can't even see who they are. So I think something like this is, you know, it's unlikely that this is going to happen a lot, and there's really nothing that we can do to prevent it. In fact, anybody that wants to criticize the police department, that wants to criticize 
uh, the hotel. You know, I know the hotel is probably going to get sued. I mean, all these casino stocks went down. Uh, Mandalay uh, Bay uh, is owned by um, MGM. You know, their stock was down uh, today, but I think all the, the stocks were down in sympathy, obviously because people are worried that this is going to uh, hurt uh, the tourist business in Las Vegas. People are going to be less likely to want to go there because they're worried about this happening again. You know, I was at an outdoor concert the last time I was there with my wife. We went to see, we saw the Chainsmokers, and it was outdoors. We were standing outdoors. It was in one of the casinos, but we were at the pool level. So we were outside watching a concert, and there were plenty of uh, hotel rooms that were looking down. I mean, obviously, if that guy was up there that night, he could have been firing bullets down at me and my wife. Uh, so I know people will be thinking, Maybe we shouldn't go to Vegas. Maybe it's a heightened alert. So that's obviously bad for all of the uh, the casinos if they have fewer people gambling. Uh, but also for MGM in particular, are there going to be wrongful death lawsuits filed against the casino by the family members of the people who were killed? And I feel very badly for the family members of the people who were killed. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, but it is not... MGM's fault. They did not do anything wrong. And one of the problems with America's legal system is we always want to blame somebody and hold somebody responsible, particularly a corporation, a landowner. In fact, interestingly enough, this guy, the shooter, actually sued one of the casinos a few years back. Not this, this casino. I think it was the Cosmopolitan. Because apparently maybe he slipped and fell because maybe he wasn't paying attention where he was going. And so he decided to sue the hotel, claiming it was the hotel's fault uh, that he slipped. Uh, and so this is the American mentality that if something happened to me bad, it must be somebody else's fault. And I'm going to parlay this into a payday. And so I don't like the idea that the MGM, those stockholders, are the reason that these individuals were shot and that therefore they need to pay, right? The people who lost family members need to be compensated for that loss by the, the casino. They don't. Now, apparently this individual had some money. He has several million dollars. He owns property. He owns airplanes. That money should go to the victims for sure, right? Any money that he had uh, should go to uh, the families of the victims, but it's not fair to say that the hotel is responsible just because the shooter happened to shoot from a hotel window when there is nothing the hotel could do. Now, if you're going to say, well, the hotel was negligent, but they weren't negligent. There's nothing they did. But if they're going to say, well, they're negligent because they didn't take action, because they didn't try to prevent uh, this from happening, well, then, of course, uh, any, if this ever happens again, then a hotel is going to be responsible. Now the insurance rates go up for all the hotels. Now more and more hotels have to think, well, if I don't do this, if I don't install these really sophisticated surveillance systems, if I don't install you know, metal detectors and all sorts of things, then I'm going to be held liable if somebody in my uh, hotel commits a murder because I didn't have enough surveillance uh, to uh, to know what was going on. I mean, they have surveillance in the elevators in these casinos, right? I mean, so, you know, but they don't have surveillance in your room. I mean, how many people want cameras in their rooms so that the security guards at the hotels can just watch what we're doing 
just in case we happen to have a gun. I, mean, I don't think the average guy, especially who knows what's going on. Imagine what goes on in those casino hotels in Las Vegas, even more so than uh, your typical city where you have hotels. And you certainly don't want the management uh, watching everything that you're doing. Uh, so there's a limit to what they can do, yet we want to hold them responsible as if, oh, this is terrible. These people have a loss and somebody must be responsible. So let's find somebody with a deep pocket like a casino uh, and let's sue them. But again, and it's not just this situation. It's all situations. It's anybody who owns property somehow is liable for anything bad that happens to anybody on that property. And this whole idea that somebody else is always responsible, even though they've done nothing wrong, just drives up the insurance costs for everybody. It drives up the cost of living for everybody. And so society is a net loser because we have this attitude in America that there's always somebody to sue and that every time something bad happens to somebody that it must be somebody else's fault and that person needs to pay even if the other person or entity had nothing to do with it. They just happen to be the deepest pocket uh, within sight of the lawyers and so that's who they sue. Well, the stock market shrugged off the, uh, the tragedy. The Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ all moving to new all-time record highs. Pretty much everything up today. Even most gold stocks were up today, even though the price of gold was down again. The dollar was up. More uh, enthusiasm for the prospect of tax cuts invigorating the U.S. economy. Also, the vote in Spain, Catalonia voting you know, to separate from Spain. Uh, I don't think anything's really going to happen there. I mean, pretty much uh, everybody, the EU is saying, hey, if these guys leave, you know, we're not going to recognize them. Spain is saying that we don't recognize the validity of uh, the election. So I doubt anything's going to happen. But I guess all of this, I mean, somewhat uncertainty uh, was weighing on the euro and that helped prop up the dollar, which has continued to rise ever since the supposed bullish comments by Janet Yellen about hiking rates and shrinking the balance sheet. So now we're back up to about 93.5 on the dollar index. Gold back down, what, 12.80 or so. But I think the fundamentals are still there for the weak dollar. I think this is all a bunch of noise. Uh, the dollar story continues to be one of weakness, and I think that that trend is going to resert itself. Again, I, I thought that gold would have held the 1,300 support, not moved much below it. Uh, but apparently that was not the case. I mean, we're back in the old trading range, you know, because now we're back below 1300 But I still think the trend is up. It's just not an immediate explosion to the upside like I thought might have happened once we cleared through that 1300 We only got as high as 1350 But there was some resistance, some residual resistance left at 1350 from the night that Trump uh, pulled off the upset victory and we had that spike high in gold. Now we have a nice double top up there. Double tops are made to be broken. This one will be no exception. I'm sure we're building up a lot of buy stops up there for some of the people who are short in gold. So I think once we take it out, we will uh, we'll have a big move. Meanwhile, you know, these tax cuts that are driving some of the pro-dollar sentiment, I mean, they're not even really going to happen uh, the way they're being marketed. I mean, as I said on my last podcast, the president has done a terrible job of communicating this. And this went right through the weekend on all the Sunday talk shows. Uh, you had Mnuchin, you had all the various uh, uh, you know, P 
people that speak for the administration with the same old nonsense. This is a tax cut for the middle class. This is about giving tax relief to the middle class when the tax bill so obviously is not about that. It is about major tax cuts for upper income earners. That's what is involved in this plan. And the fact that the president is lying about that is just going to reduce the chances that it's even going to pass in this form. I mean, the president should have talked about honestly that, hey, yes, we're cutting taxes. We're cutting taxes for job creators, for business owners, for entrepreneurs. We're cutting taxes from wealthier individuals because we want them to use their wealth productively. We want them to use their wealth to grow the economy, to create jobs. This is what the president should be saying. And he's saying, we're not cutting taxes for the rich. This is all about giving tax cuts to the middle class, which is not going to grow the economy. And, you know, and I would like to see the middle class be rewarded with lower taxes. They could use some relief from high taxes. But if we're trying to relieve the taxpayer of a burden of paying for government, then we have to relieve the taxpayer of government. We have to shrink the size of government so that government doesn't need as much money to support it. And then we can reward the taxpayer with lower taxes because he doesn't have to pay for as big a government. But if you're promising even bigger government and you're also promising economic growth, then you better reduce marginal tax rates. That's your only shot. But of course, it isn't even going to work. I mean, even though you will get some increase in growth as a result of the tax cuts, it won't be enough to offset the loss of revenue, right? You just can't cut taxes and have the tax cut itself produce such a windfall to the government that even with lower rates, the government collects more revenue. That's not going to happen, right? It, will, it won't lose as much revenue as the cut because it will get some of it back based on extra growth. But the other problem is you're going to create a drag on the economy by having bigger deficits. And so what is that going to subtract from tax revenue as that acts as an anchor to the economy, as that is a sedative to offset the stimulus? And of course, eventually, the bigger debt means higher interest rates. And what kind of drag on the economy are higher interest rates? And of course, the Federal Reserve will try to uh, you know, slow down uh, the pace of those rate hikes by printing even more money and creating even more inflation. So there isn't going to be any stimulus at all, but at least if they wanted to argue from the perspective of stimulus, they blew their opportunity to do that because they're lying and they're pretending that the wealthy aren't going to get any tax cuts when they're going to get large tax cuts if the bill is passed the way it's being proposed, although we don't even know where the brackets are. That's the crazy part. They're saying there's a 35% bracket and a 25% bracket and a 12% bracket, but we don't know where the brackets are. I mean, how high does the income go before you hit the 35% bracket? I mean, we have all kinds of studies over how much, who's the winner and who's the loser, but we don't even know. You know, people right now don't even know. If somebody's in a bracket right now that's below 25, they don't know if they're going to be in 25 or 35. They don't know where the brackets are. So how do you know for sure how much you win and how much you lose? But, I mean, that's one of the things, one of the reasons probably that they didn't even want to put the brackets in, right? Because, you know, they didn't even want to throw that out there. So now it's just up to Congress to figure it out. But I think the way that they're marketing this, they look so bad. They're so obviously not telling the truth that it's going to blow up on them. So they're going to have to dramatically change this in order to get it passed 
They're going to have to probably raise taxes on the rich. They're going to have to gut uh, whatever they're doing on pass-throughs, or it's going to be so complicated that it's going to really uh, screw up, you know, the code even more as far as uh, trying to people trying to, you know, get through all the various uh, roadblocks they're trying to erect to try to prevent people from claiming the very lower tax bracket that they're creating. I mean, if you're a small businessman and you're barely making any money, if you're only making twenty, thirty, forty thousand a year running your small business, you're already paying less than the twenty-five percent rate anyway. In fact, here's the irony. If they set a pass-through rate at 25% and you're running a small business and making $30,000 a year, you're actually going to pay more now running your small business. Because if they didn't have that special rate for pass-throughs, if it just passed through your individual rate, you'd be in the 12% bracket. So the only people who are going to be helped by a 25% rate for pass-throughs are the higher-income small business owners that would have paid taxes at the highest rate, wherever that's going to start, at 35%, and now they're going to get a reduction at 25%. So the whole thing doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't even have to put that in there if your goal is to protect the middle class. The only reason to have that rate in there is so upper-income small businessmen could keep more of what they earn. Now, is that a good thing? Of course it's a good thing, because now they can reinvest what they earn into growing their businesses. But that's what the president has to say. Instead, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, we don't want to give a tax cut to the rich. We don't want to give a tax cut to the wealthy. We only want to give tax cuts to the middle class. This is all about the middle class, right? Why, why does he feel that he has to constantly placate the middle class? Because that's where that's where the votes are, right? He's trying to throw red meat to the voters to show that he's, he's a man of the people. And then when he says it's not going to benefit me, of course it's going to benefit him. It just makes him look that much more ridiculous to say that he's not going to personally benefit from these tax cuts. Hey, you know, I almost didn't even realize this. I had it in my calendar, and I noticed it this morning when I was, you know, looking to make an appointment, that I am speaking at Yale University tomorrow evening. And I just found out today what the topic was, and I'm talking about the minimum wage. And, of course, I'm going to be there, and they, they promoted me as somebody who's going to talk about why we should abolish the, uh, the minimum wage. And the thing that bothers me is nobody's protesting. You know, if I was Ben Shapiro, if I was Ann Coulter, I mean, it'd be a huge story. I mean, there'd be massive protests on the Yale campus. To, I, you know, they'd have to be setting up special courses to help the students deal with, you know, the, 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 the pressure. You know, maybe they'd have to, you know, have a moratorium or something on, you know, when your, 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 your exams are due or, you know, your papers because people would need time to heal and recover from from, you know, from me being on campus, right? If I was, you know, Ben Shapiro or, uh, or Ann Coulter. But no one cares again, about Peter Schiff. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly more controversial than either of those guys as far as some of the positions that I take. So I should be a lot more offensive uh, to some of the real uh, politically correct liberals uh, that, you know, that, you know, dominate the Yale campus. I mean, I, I ran for Senate here in Connecticut. I mean, I'm really bad, right? I mean, I ran as a Republican for Senate, in this state, uh, but apparently uh, people have short memories that I don't even uh, rate a protest, that I can come to Yale University and talk and it, I, I don't even warrant anybody being upset. There, I mean, no one's going to be there with a picket sign. No one cares. I can come and go in relative obscurity and people can come and listen to me talk about why the minimum wage should be completely abolished. I mean, doesn't that make me a racist? 
right? Or maybe at least a homophobe or something, right? Doesn't anybody want to, you know, say something negative about how dare I bring these terrible, racist, homophobic ideas to the Yale campus? I mean, how could they tolerate me, right? You, I mean, <laughs> but somehow they're, they're willing to do that. So I don't know if that means that they're, uh, you know, they're, that they're actually uh, improving, that maybe uh, the Yale student body is, uh, is, is now more tolerant of a difference of opinion, or just they, they have no idea who I am. They don't, they don't even know what my opinions are, uh, and that if they actually knew what my opinions were, then maybe they would be out, out, out protesting. But I don't know, maybe we'll see. Maybe, they'll, maybe there'll be some last-minute protests that will be gathered, and so it'll make me feel a little bit more important if I show up tomorrow, and there's at least one picket sign out there. Uh, by some, hopefully it's not the Antifa guys. I don't want those guys showing up and causing all kinds of, all kinds of violence. Uh, at, at, at Yale, that I don't want, but I, you know, a, a little bit of a peaceful demonstration at least make me feel that I'm somewhat uh, warranted in the scheme of things. Because I guess, you know, you, when when you you piss people off to the point that they want to protest you, then maybe you know that your message is getting out there, that you're doing some good. If you're pissing off the right people, then maybe it's because your message is actually getting out, and the people who you're pissing off are afraid that your message is getting out, and they feel that they have to do something to silence you. But in my case, you know, they're not worried. So maybe it'll be a little bit of a stealth attack. Maybe I'm going to get into the underbelly of the Yale campus and uh, maybe do some good. Hopefully, though, the student body knows that I'm going to be there. I don't want to be speaking to just a, a, a room full of uh, Peter Schiff fans. I want a bunch of people in there who come in all for the minimum wage, right? They're going to think, who is this, this you know, this horrible uh, uh, hateful, greedy capitalist. Who is this fascist that wants to eliminate the minimum wage? And I want them leaving thinking, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a decent guy. And, you know, I never thought about these things. I never thought about the minimum wage quite that way. And you know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe it, maybe it is a bad law. Maybe we should get rid of it. That's what I want. I want people to come into that auditorium who are completely convinced that I'm wrong, but I want their mind to be just open enough, just a little crack in that door that I can actually get in there and get them to think with their heads instead of their hearts. Mm -hmm.